We're in a series called Comfort and Joy, and today I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the tall tale of real shepherds. And we're going to look, if you have your Bibles, join me in the Gospel of Luke. We started this series in Matthew. Dustin did a great job in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to pick it up again today with the Gospel of Luke. We'll have a short message on Christmas Eve. And then the day after Christmas, we'll be having church. And I'm going to finish this series from the Gospel of John. And so today, the tall tale of real shepherds from Luke's Gospel. I'm going to read from uh, the New King James Version just to start us this morning. And it says this, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and I love these lines, glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard and marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Would you join me one more time in prayer? Lord, I know you desire so greatly to feed your sheep today, to meet with them, give them light and life and love, continue to lift their hearts up high. You want to reveal yourself to us from your word, from the spoken word and the written word, the gathering of the people of the word. We know there are people who will be watching and listening in the God's appointed time who maybe don't know you or used to know you or need to know you better. Those who are carrying burdens that they can't even describe. We pray that if nothing else happens, this one thing will happen, that someone who is lost will be found, someone who is unsaved will be saved. Someone who is broken will be healed and someone 
who is in bondage will be set free in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that no one would leave this place giving praise or glory or recognition to anyone but him. We ask you to do what we can't do, change the lives of people, including mine. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said? This is the sister message of Messianic mercy for messed up lives. How many of you remember that one? Messianic mercy. I like you to do, I don't like to watch myself preach and I don't like to listen to myself preach. But uh, if you would, in, in spite of that, would you share that message on social media, please? And also this one. Because I believe that these messages, although they're tailored for all of us, they're tailored for people who are, have yet to meet Jesus or have ideas as to why God wouldn't want them. We're hoping that the Holy Spirit will change that thought process for everybody today with this sister message. We're talking about tall tales for real shepherds. I was inspired to write this message after uh, once again doing an annual reading of Dickens. I've been reading the Christmas story again this year. I love it. And also taking a closer listen to the lyrics of the song, My Favorite Christmas Song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and hearing the line in that song about dreamless sleep, I began thinking about the sadness of not having dreams. And I don't mean dreams while you're sleeping, but dreams, inspirations, aspirations in life. I believe there are a lot of people like that, but then about the dark streets having no light. Dark streets and and dreamless sleep, and it just got a hold of me, and I just took my pen out and began to craft a message uh, that kind of goes like this. The Bible says that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. Now, these shepherds, um, as I said in the message about uh, messed up lives, we have the A side of the record, the hit record of Abraham and Judah and, and Jacob and David, and then we have the flip side, the underbelly side, that shows us the messed up part of all of the great followers of God. And just like you have some great stuff in you, I'm sure that you have some other stuff as well as I do too. Well, these shepherds, uh, they didn't have halos on their heads sitting out in those fields. They didn't know anything about Christmas, and they definitely didn't have Christmas cheer. But if you study some of the scholarship that gives you some insight about these shepherds, there's something that you may have not known, and it's this. The rabbis had placed a ban on them and barred them from testifying in court because they were seen as people whose word didn't count. Here's one of the reasons why. Uh, New Testament scholar Leon Morris described the shepherds in this way. As a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. More regrettable was their habit of confusing mine with thine. And what that means is this. A lot of the shepherds of that time um, liked to permanently borrow other people's sheep. And that word got out. And they didn't like one another. And so therefore, nobody was interested in what their testimony would be like in court. Point being... The very first people that God chose to get a testimony out to the world about the coming of the king. Who would think it? Because the Gospel of Luke is about the outcast being included in the in-group by the mercy and grace of God. Isn't that awesome? That's just so awesome to me. So when I think about these shepherds, I begin to take creative license about what kind of guys they were. 
Well, they were just normal, typical guys. And when you think about guys working the night shift, guys going on a camping trip, and let's add this, guys who don't wear halos on their head, guys who aren't church folk, you get it? The conversation when the wife isn't around, at the log cabin, at the fishing retreat, on a vacay with just a bunch of guys, not saved, not sanctified, no halos, conversation pieces, right? Uh, do, you ha- do I have to get more real to, to explain the kind of guys these guys were, right? You get that? Well, I was thinking about that. They're the kind of guys that the angel shows up to say, we're going pit- to start with you to get this story out. And then I began to think about the song about the little town of Bethlehem and the dreamless sleep. And I thought about these guys. Did they have any dreams? Probably not. If you knew what their address was, it said they were living out in the fields. I don't know if that was all the time or if that was just, you know, seasonal. But some of them probably like other guys and gals in maybe this church room today or watching or who will never even think on a Sunday that this was the day they were going to get up and go to church. Maybe they live on who street? Who am I really? Why street? Why did this not happen for me? Why did this happen to me? Why, when I asked from the bottom of my heart to pray to the God who is supposed to hear and answer, why didn't God How many of them lived on when street? When will my life ever change? When will my marriage ever work? When will, or what street? Did you ever just go through a season of life where you just go, what? And then I wonder, were they hardened like Scrooge? I've been reading Dickens And I just saw my nephew's son last night, Oliver, in the local uh, Christmas story at the Cumberland Theater. Fantastic, man, fantastic job by all. And there's a line that that Scrooge says, uh, pre-conversion Scrooge. And people are saying Merry Christmas to him. And he says, if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor. Those guys were probably somewhere like that. Somewhere like a lot of people who aren't here today, who aren't reading Luke, who aren't necessarily in the word or in the will. Not only their marriage isn't working, they're not working, literally. They don't have any job. They did have a job. They don't have one now. And they're on what street? And why would God pick them first? And in thy dark streets shineth. A street light comes on in that field of these real shepherds. And it says in the Bible, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were sore afraid. The Greek literally says they feared with a great fear. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. 
And I love that because I, I read a scholar say, humanity has nothing to fear when God moves toward them in grace. I bring you good tidings of great joy. And if you'll see, uh, well, it, 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 I, I put this in my, in my notes. The word for great there is the word megas. It's where we get the word mega. And mega means uh, there is joy, but then there is mega joy. When you, when you rank joy, the angel said, God is bringing you the highest ranking kind of joy. When you contrast all kinds of joy, this is the one you want. And this is the one God's giving to you. When you talk about its ability to impact you, and you talk about the intensity level of all different kinds of joy, this is the mega intense joy that God is bringing you. I'm bringing you good news of a mega thing that's for you and for all the people. All the people. Everybody who lives on Dreamless Street, everybody who lives on what street and why street, and I don't know why street, and where is God Street? Do you know when Little Town of Bethlehem was written? It was written in 1865 by a pastor named Philip Brooks right after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. The country is just trying to recover from 600,000 people dying during the Civil War. Did you hear that number? Do you think we might be able to make it through this? 600,000. And then the president's assassinated. Philip Brooks takes a trip to the Holy Land, and he is sitting on a hill looking over the city of Bethlehem, and he knows how much the world needs to know that Christ is the answer. And he writes, above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the, sleep, the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That first night, it wasn't Christmas for those men. It wasn't Christmas. It was just a night with no light. Real men who are defined by the biblical culture of the day as to somebody, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. We know what kind of people you are. And the angel of the Lord, look at this next verse. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. I want to intensify this. I want us to slowly read that. Who did the angel of the Lord appear to? To them. Now we know a little bit about them. And I could get even more raw and real, and I'm tempted to because I don't think our halos can really hear what God is trying to say to people who don't wear the halo. I could describe these guys in more intense and offensive terms, and it would offend you, but it would get the message across to them who think they're not holy enough for God to pick them first. So I hope you can get that. Some of you say, say it. <laughs> oh, I did all morning. I did all morning, and I'm too afraid to. But anyway, let's just say it one more time. Have you ever been around those kind of guys? You work with those kind of guys. 
I have some friends, and I know where you work, and I know you know that I know that you know that you're around some of those kind of guys. And they're not talking about the Melchizedek priesthood. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Do you see that? And the Shekinah glory of the Lord, which we've heard he will not pour out his glory, and the Shekinah won't fall if you have them in the room, if you have them in the church. Well, maybe not in the church, but in the field, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, say it, to you. Are you, are, you, are you hearing that? Are you hearing that? To you, the Lord. To who? To those who live on Dreamless Street. To those who live on Who Street, Why Street, When Street, What Street, and under silent stars. To those who have had no word from heaven. The, the, the heavens are brass. God isn't interested in them. God has told them through the establishment of what Christianity of their day, which wasn't Christianity yet. Who God speaks to, who God speaks through, who God welcomes, and they're not them. But God comes to them through an angel and he says, not only do I want to tell you this, I'm going to help you find your way there. In the city, you'll find a woman and a man and you'll find a baby and here will be the sign. He'll be laying in a feed box. Manger is a Christmas word now, but it wasn't a Christmas word then. Manger was a place where cows would eat their straw or horses or pigs. It'd be like saying today, you'll find a couple sleeping in a car wash. The baby will be in a big bucket wrapped in rags. That's what it was like. That's what it would have been. That's what it would have sounded like. Not like, oh, holy night. You'll find angels above the stable And the wise men who come two years later, they'll be there too. And the little drummer boy will be doing rumpa-pum-pum. And Linus will be over there with his blanket making sure everybody understands what's going on. No. You're going to find the little baby in a feed box wrapped in rags. Now, I want to point out something else to you. December 25th is not Jesus' birthday. It's the day we celebrate. And that's great. I have no problem with that. But one of the problems I have, uh, one of the problems I have with, uh, with the church world is that not only have we uh, we've walked away from so much of the Old Testament that shows us uh, the, the new covenant concealed, revealed in Jesus, uh, the, the seven feasts of Israel set times all have prophetic meaning pointing to the beginning and the end of the age. And the Feast of Tabernacles was something that God commanded the sons of Israel to do every year, and here's what it was. The Feast of Tabernacles was a commemoration of the 40 years when Moses and, and then, uh, and, uh, led, led Israel from Egypt to the land of promise, and they never made it in. They could have made it in four weeks, but they did. it took them 40 years because of unbelief. But during that time, God pitched his tent 
in the middle of the camp. And his presence was there in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the Sukkot. And, and, and they, were to, they were to celebrate that for 40, uh, uh, after the 40 years and, the, and through, through the rest of uh, their existence. What is interesting is that in John's account, and we're going to look at that in my last message in the next verse, it says, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. What's interesting is, is where it's the phrase took up residence, that word is used a, a, a couple other times in the New Testament, and every time it's used in the book of Revelation, it means tabernacle. Now the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then we saw his glory. So you tie tabernacle in the glory, and the picture is the Feast of Tabernacles, which this is just me. I'm not going to start a denomination over it or anything. But probably Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, late September, early October. Like I said, we're not going to start a movement over that or uh, you know, put posters out or anything. But, uh, but the point is, is that God, if we followed some of that stuff, we might be able to convince a whole nation of people who think that Christianity has departed from the roots of everything that Abraham, Isaac, that's just another story. But it's very important that we stay biblical. Let me tell you about something else. That, that night in their life, and this is what God wants to do in our life, he, he went from a silent night to suddenly and what is interesting, if you read the account in Luke, when the angel appears to Mary, there's only one angel. When the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, there's only one angel. But the shepherds experience one and then a myriad, a multitude, which means you can't number of the heavenly host. And the word host means warrior. So here's one of the reasons they were terrified. When those angelic warriors manifested in the sky beyond number. <laughs> to these non-halo, they're probably quickly thinking, they heard what we were talking about. <laughs> they, they know we were not biblical. And there they are, swords, flaming fire, and they're singing this war song. Glory to God. Can you imagine such a thing? And the light of God is shining all around them. And they are terrified. But the angels have a completely different viewpoint of them. And this is the point that we need to say to the world that are like these guys. Heaven has moved toward you with goodwill and good news, and a mega joy that you can have if you line your life up with that baby that's wrapped in those rags. See, they came from a city of hope. They knew their king. They knew his plan. Ages passed, and now it's beginning. And they're worshiping, and they're singing, and they're celebrating. They knew about the B-side of the drunken night of Noah in the tent. And they knew about Abraham lying that his wife was his sister. And they knew about Abraham and Jacob and Judah and Tamar and David in the bath thing. And they knew about the forbearance of God. And they knew that he was longing to save all of them. And he knew that they knew, those multitudes knew that every person living except the one born in that manger 
had an incurable toxic disease called sin on the inside of them that could not be remedied apart from that baby. No one. And the joy they had was knowing he was here and they were saved. They were finally, finally saved if they would go to where that baby was. Here's the picture of heaven. Jesus later says it in his ministry that the angels of God rejoice. Now, can you imagine hearing the angelic army choir rejoicing over one person that turns from and turns to? Over one. I said over one. Just It's not like they're up there doing something important. They go, hey, another guy got sick. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, anyway, no. The angels rejoice. That's what it's all about. That's what heaven's heartbeat is all about. He's never stopped being about them. Them. Look what the Bible says. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The Lord has told us about. I love that. I want to ask you a question. I wrote this to myself too. Am I having too many dreamless sleeps awake? I mean... Am I still focused on my God dream? Do you have a God dream? Who are you to think that God wouldn't give you a dream? Why would you think that God wouldn't give you a dream? Because you live on what street? When street? Who street? He's telling you this story today. He has come into your silent and lifeless and lightless life with us suddenly, right now, to tell you a story that today, for you. And he wants you to hurry up and go and go in your imagination. And in your heart, go and see what God wants you to see and hear what God wants you to hear. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Why did they find it? Because God said they would. Look what the Bible says. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Remember? Who were they? Your testimony doesn't count. Those people knew that, but now they've heard the story, and they're amazed. They're amazed at what the shepherds told them. See, that's what Luke's trying to get across. And then the shepherds returned back to work, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now let's bring this all the way back home to you and I here on Moss Avenue and you who you're watching or you're listening and you popped into the podcast in the future 
of uh, the week after Christmas or your cousin or some friend sent you through, through social media this message and it's somewhere in February and you're in a situation and it's definitely not a suddenly and you're on what street or dreamless sleep and all that and God has ordained this for you and here you are and here's what God is saying to you. The Holy Spirit has the ability, no matter what you don't see and what you don't feel, to open the eyes of your heart and so your eyes can by faith see him. That he is altogether lovely and there is hope for you when you have no hope at all. Because heaven has a passion to open your eyes. Heaven has a passion to allow your ears to hear. That God, out of no ability, wants to genesis within you a faith to walk right into mega joy and rediscover what you've not lived in. That God is all about you finding his son. And not just finding his son, but having a life that's completely changed. Comfort and joy. What are the components of all this message to bring about Comfort in my life and in your life and joy in my life and in your life. And even as important, that what he does in you and does in me will have the same sort of effect that it had in the shepherds. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They had to tell somebody. Comfort. Comfort is knowing that God with us will become God in us. God with us is Jesus in the manger. God in us is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The shepherds would come into this reality. Now here's the thing the Bible doesn't say. It says immediately they left and they were rejoicing and praising God. But here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and the shepherds went home and never had another issue with any of the issues from Dreamless Street, What Street, Why Street, When Street. Wouldn't it be nice? Don't you just sort of wish that when you come to the altar or you pray the prayer and it's joy unspeakable, that joy would just stay every minute and every day was fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la? But it isn't. But what it is, is God in us. People all over the world want peace. Political efforts to bring peace, there'll be a kind of peace that could possibly come, but it isn't the kind of peace that we're talking about. Economic reform, whatever you think of that, on whatever side you're on in that, can't bring the peace that I'm talking about. Peace treaties are usually just a segment of time when those who hate each other will decide not to kill each other. That's not the kind of peace we're talking about. Only God's peace can bring real peace. And only God on the inside can bring a peace on the inside. 
Epictetus, who was a first century writer, wrote this comment about Caesar. I hope he lived after he wrote it. He wrote, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passions and grief and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which every man and woman yearns for more than any kind of outward peace. But Jesus, at the age of 30 or so, says to those who are with him the night on which he's going to be betrayed. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For I will ask the Father, and he will send you another comforter, and he will be with you and in you forever. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. And in that day, you will have my joy and no one will be able to take it away. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to preach for a minute. On Christ the solid rock, we all could stand because all other ground is shrinking, is sinking sand. But I have something better than that. Not only does God give me an unshakable place to plant my feet, but Christ is on the inside of me. And when I'm shaking, Jesus Christ can stand up on the inside of me. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And even when nothing and no one can comfort me, and I can't find a comfort, the Son of God and his power can rise up and live on the inside of me. And if I can't do anything except stand still and wait on the Lord, then greater is he in me than anything or anyone in the world because Christ with us is one thing. Christ in us makes us more than conquerors against anything that can come our way. God wants to put his presence in your life. Even when you look up to the heavens and they're silent, there's one on the inside of you who made the heavens. And even if he isn't speaking, he is establishing you in a strength that's beyond your own. That's Jesus. That's comfort that we can have. And let me tell you what the joy is. The joy is this. There is an invitation that we see in these men. And remember who they are. Remember who they are. Remember that they are the first selected ones that God wants to bring mega good news to. And he is inviting them to the same thing he's inviting you to. Come and see the promises of God fulfilled. Listen, listen, this Bible that I'm holding in my hand, in Romans chapter 16 says that he is the God of hope that gives us encouragement through the scriptures. He invites you and I to a walk that as we open this book with an open heart, 
We can grow in anticipation and exhilaration in knowing that God wants to give us words of promise from this word. And living promises prophetically from the written word that he will witness to our heart as he witnesses in the gospel story. He wants to speak a now word through his never changing word to every one of his sons, every one of his daughters, so you can hear God speak to you and set your life on a course to watch his promises become fulfilled in your life. Here's a quote from Dickens in the Christmas story that explains what I'm trying to say about going after the promises of God. He says, no space of regret can make amends for one life's misused opportunities. There is no space given in life of regret that can make amends. You can't regret enough to make an amend for an opportunity of a lifetime missed. A Bible unopened in a believer's life is a misused opportunity. An unopened ear, even with eyes in the book, An unopened ear sitting under a living word from a man on fire is a missed opportunity when the voice of the author is speaking through a voice and when the voice of the author is speaking through a book. And I'm not listening and I'm not looking. It's a missed opportunity. Why? Because this book is alive. This book is alive, and the author is alive. And if the author is on the inside of you, my friend, he can tell you which page to turn to in this book when you need a light, and you need a lamp, and you need to hear something from God. But he can't bring up in your spirit what you haven't downloaded into it. But he wants to. He wants that for you. He wants you and I to cry out and say, Lord, open my eyes to behold marvelous things from your word. It's time for some of us to open the book. It's time for some of us to break the little gold pieces that are in parts of the Bible that are there. We've had our Bible for years and it still looks brand new. It's time for some of us to find it. It's under your car seat. It's been there since summer. I come to tell you that God wants to give you a prophetic word from this living word from heaven that will become a living word for your life and set your feet on course. The angel Gabriel, the messenger of Yahweh, said to Mary that no word from God spoken to a person will go unfulfilled, not one. And then the angel went to others and said the same thing. And he wants to say the same thing to you. The author of this book wants to show you promises that are for you in this book. And in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, they will be fulfilled in your life. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the earth, seeking to make himself known and show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully his. That means when you get before the Lord and you get on your knees before him and you open this book and say, God, speak to my heart and if you help me understand that, I'll give you my life. You won't have any trouble finding the will of God. 
If you come before him hungry and you say, send out your light and truth and let them lead me, Lord. If you say, oh God, in the volume of the book it's written of me, I delight to do your will. Your word is in my heart. You won't live on Y Street and what street most of your Christian life. Zacharias and Elizabeth had a word. Mary had a word. Joseph had a word that he'd be protected. Simeon, the old man, when he sees Jesus and he holds him in his arms, he says, now I can depart this world in peace because your word has been fulfilled. My eyes have seen what you told me I would see before I die. Anna, the 84-year-old prophetess, was waiting on a word and preaching a word of faith as she waited on the word to be fulfilled. Friend, don't miss the opportunity that God has placed before every one of his sons and daughters to open your heart to this book and let living words come from it because the wheel is still on fire and the heavens are speaking. And when you go to this Bible, God will produce better character in your life, but not he's not just interested in architecturally designing your character. He's wanting to move your feet into the promised land of his purposes for you. And they come from his book. And I wrote this down, I'm saying this now not as a pastor, but as someone I believe that has the hand of God on my life for you. If we as the people of God in this church, if men and women in their household will literally come before God and say, Lord, we are binding ourselves together in a covenant before you that we as a family will be a blessing to the Lighthouse of Hope Church that we will bless his house, I promise you this, friend, God will bless your house. You're you're in a church, and I pray there are many, but I'm not responsible for anywhere else. But you're in a church that has had a legacy, is living one, and it's just starting. And in 2022, some of you who are 20 years younger than I, moms and dads, single young men and women, God is going to come and get up close and next to you. And he's going to challenge you. What kind of legacy will you create for the future of this Lighthouse of Hope Church? So that the Dustins and the Devons and some of these people that were like, who are like the kids now that are sitting in these chairs wanting to crack each other in the head with and while they're singing, singing worship songs and hitting their cousins with the other hand. Like, right? Devin and Dustin used to run around and knock their head into the pillars and have lumps on them leaving Sunday night. I'd have to, tell, I'd have to say to Devin, Devin, when church is over up on Warrior where Libby's is, we had a church right there, they'd bust out a children's church because I'd preach too long and they'd be out in the streets. And I'd be like, man, you can't, you're going to get killed. We can't have everybody killed. That's the way you, your church gets shut down when kids get killed. In a, in a, so <laughs> got to work on that. Got to work on that. Got to work on that, Dev, Dustin. Right? They're not knocking their heads into, into poles now. And some of, those, some of your kids... You know, many people, if, if all the people, even in right now, that said, because I've seen them, they'll say, what church do you go to? They haven't been here for two years. Uh, my church is LOH. If everybody that says they go to LOH invested in LOH, like some of the people that have walked with me for the last 30 years invested, we would, we'd have to build a seat, a, 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 a thousand seat 
auditorium. One of the things that kind of scares me every now and then, like Lucy and Ethel, when they thought they were doing the chocolates real, you know, and they, oh, this is easy. Sometimes I get scared thinking one week, uh, everybody like that's going to go, by golly, this is the day we start back, Margaret. (laughs) Two Christmas Eves, how about five? They're out there, friend. Listen, I'm speaking now, I don't know if you call this prophecy or what. This is a word from the Lord to whoever. You bless his house and God will bless your house. You seek to serve his house and his purposes and God will have purposes and promises for your house and for your life in the name of Jesus that will blow your mind and your kid's mind and your grandkid's mind. Do not miss your opportunity. I, have pay, I, brought, I brought Excalibur with me today. I, I didn't bring my blind man Bible. I can't read this one anymore. It prints too long. This is John Print, by the way. I can't read it anymore. Um, but I have... I have dates, times, passages in here from the 90s, the 2000s. And I've watched some of those things be fulfilled already. And I have other ones that aren't. And the reason I'm still cranking it out is because I'm waiting on the Lord. I saw little kids dancing in the rain in 1997 before I ever preached one sermon at Crestown Assembly of God Church, which is what we what were Lighthouse of Hope. We were formerly known as Crestown Assembly of God. I thought that doesn't sound like a global vision. We got to change the name. We're not just going to reach Town. You can blink your eyes and you're past Town. That's not the way I roll. That's not the way I roll. And we're not doing mom and pop shop church either. We're going to reach nations for Jesus. I want prophets to come up out of that shine, kids. I want missionaries and pastors and preachers and intercessors and people that will kill giants to come marching up there with chocolate off their face and a Bible verse in their hand. Come on, somebody. People are burning cities down. We're not going to burn anything down. We're going to burn with the fire of the Holy Spirit. When people walk in the door, they start melting and they don't even know why. Because we have a people that are saying, God, it's not just for me and my kids. God, it's not just so I can feel Holy Ghost goosebumps. You can watch TV and get Holy Ghost goosebumps, friend. That's not what we're here for. I'm not here for kumbaya and how high we can get. I want people... I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to my uncles who didn't think they were good enough for God. I'm preaching to my friends that won't darken the door of the church and think the walls will cave in. I'm preaching to them because I was one of them. I wasn't Baptist boy. I might go back and tell you what those shepherds really were saying that night because I know them. I've partied with them. When I was a starting pastor here, I'm sitting in the front row of a church, it was in the 90s, and my friend Shannon Rust, who takes his truck or has taken his truck across the highways of, of, of the United States and winning souls in a chapel in the back of his truck and, and uh, scraping two pennies together to try to get on the road and go, and we're, we had about 30 people in our church, and 
People were paying the utility bills out of their own pocket on the board. And uh, that night, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Tim, if you, I promise you this. Tim, if you bless, you think God talks to you? Hey, God will talk to you if you sell, sell your life out to him. Here's what he said to me. If you bless soul winners, I'll bless you the rest of your life. If your church blesses soul winners, I'll bless you the rest of your life. He's proven that to be true. Whenever we went to build this building, I was tithing. You know what tithing is? It's something that most people don't do. Other than that, I'll tell you what it is. Tithing is, is 10% of your income that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. There's a Bible verse that says the tithe belongs to the Lord. You know what that means? It doesn't belong to you. Even though it's in your income, it's God's. And you know what? If all you do is tithe, you've not given one cent to God. Because it's his. Giving starts after the tithe. Giving is what you give from you. If you don't give God what belongs to him, you're a thief. Aren't you glad that people that need to hear that were here today? You know what tithing's in the Bible for? So you can prove whether you really trust God or not. It's the only reason. He doesn't need one cent. Well, I was a tither, and we had to build this building. And the Lord said, leaders have to go first. And if there's no sacrifice in the leader, there'll be no sacrifice in the people. Write that down. Isn't that true? He said, so I want you to tithe, and then I want you to take the next three years of all your retirement money and another amount of money and give that to me. And I said, come again, Lord. I'm driving a Civic with, it's put together by masking tape. He said this to me. Do you want a legacy for your kids? And he said this, and I wrote it down in my Bible. You take care of my house. And I promise to take care of your house. I want to say something to you. Through many dangers, tools, and snares, I've already come. A lot of whys and whats. But here's what I'll tell you. In my life, God has never failed me. Never. I've let God down so many times. He's never let me down. Never. I've never come close to outgiving God. Has anybody ever outgiven God? Raise your hand. I want to tell you, standing right here, to see the blessing of my son and my daughter through the storms of my life still love the church and love Jesus Christ, and they're not doing it because their parents are doing it, they're doing it because it's real in their life. To see my grandson and my grandkids loving Jesus little two, three-year-olds, seeing my, my, my nephews and nieces going on with the Lord, having people, when I went, there, having people come and say, say you know, God, 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 God used what you said to, to change my life when, when, I, when I felt like I was on what street, what the H street, what the what street, and every other kind of what street, and God working in spite of what I was going through and making a difference in someone else's life, I'd rather have that than everything else in the world turning out right. Everything. This is an adventure. The, the, what God offers us is the adventure that 100,000 years from now you'll still be talking about.
I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but having people come from other countries walking up to you because your tithe money, your tithe money went into this pot that we distributed out to missionaries who are uh, helping people escape Iranian persecution because they became followers of Jesus, uh, translating scriptures into languages so that people in other, other languages can hear the gospel about Christ. And these people, because you gave, are going to walk up to you someday. And you didn't even really think that through. What kind of price can you put on that? Is that a sac- How do you even call that a sacrifice? I wish I could go on. I can't go on. I, I, I can't go on. I can go on, but I can't go on. Where do I want to end this? Where do I want to land this? I've got too many things to say. Where do I want to end it? I know where I want to end it. Let's go to the uh, experience of the depth of forgiveness. Um, I'm just going to go there. My heart burns to convince people who have, have carried burdens of guilt and sin, secrets so deeply, to know that God longs to lift that stuff off your soul. The reason why I think he picked those guys first was because they were living in the unmentionables. And if, uh, let's give them names, Murray and Frank and Bill and, sorry if there's any of those names in here, uh, whatever else, Sheltiel, let's give them a Bible name. And all of a sudden it went, bam! And there, there, there were their sins. Those guys would do the boot scooting boogie right out of here as fast as, you know what I'm saying? Just same you would, if I, same I would. Right? What he came to them for, and I feel this is the passion of the angels. And I believe this, you know, I'm just preaching my own stuff now, but you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, Peter said this, that angels long to look in when the gospel's being preached. You know why I think they're looking in? Because they want to celebrate. They see the other side. They know what this thing's going to be a thousand years from now for you. They want you in. They want you in. They want me in. They know what their king did for us. And they're longing looking in right now. They're looking right now. They're, they're looking at me. They're looking at Ollie. They're looking at people. They're looking at the faithful people. I don't mean I am that. And they're looking at all the, the great saints of God. But you know who they're really looking at? They're looking down. And they're looking at this guy. They're looking at this young kid. They're looking at this mom. They're looking at these people. And you've, you've not done it right in your mind anytime and you carry things and, and there are things only you and God know, only you and God know. And every time you go to make a move of faith, you go to make a move of belief and all that, you're paralyzed like that guy in Jesus' story that they had to bring down through the roof and he's paralyzed. You know what's interesting about that? When they lay that man down in front of Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, be of good cheer, I'm going to heal you from paralysis. You know what he says? Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. You know what I, mean, what I think that means? Unforgiveness. I don't mean the unforgiveness you have toward others. I mean the unforgiveness you have toward yourself. It's paralyzing. You can't pray. You can't reach out in boldness to God. 
when you're gripped with unforgiveness toward yourself, meaning you, you, you can't receive the forgiveness that God wants you to have. And what he's trying to say through this message, this is where we're going to land this. Mega joy, mega joy comes when he takes the scales off your eyes so you can receive what these angels are like looking down at your soul right now and they're saying, he means you. He means you. You. Yes, he, that sin, get that. He means that. To never have to carry that again. Because that's a weight that keeps you from worship. It's a weight that keeps you from dreaming. It's a weight that keeps you from believing. And it's a weight that keeps you from telling your story to other people who carry the same weight. Street preachers get a bad name. When we think of street preachers, we think of some crazy person with a, with a rainbow wig and they're saying God hates certain groups of people and you're going burn baby, burn all that stuff. But listen, these guys were street preachers. You know what makes a good street preacher? A glory story. A story that just goes out instead of arguing politics and arguing about Trump and Brandon and Biden and God. I'm sorry, Brandons, whoever you are. Wouldn't it be nice if you're... Anybody think? Anybody think? What if your grandson... Shut it. Just go out to your refrigerator, pour yourself a big glass of shut it. And let's get on to the right stories. A good glory story. What is that? I struggled with this, and Jesus helped me with it. I was this, and Jesus helped me with this. And people go, I know you. That's a good story. Uh, Tell me more. Tell me more. The gospel was to sinners and is still for sinners. And the only people that can convince sinners that God loves them are forgiven ones. And that's who we are. I want you to stand, please. I want you to stand, please. I'm going to do an old-fashioned... I want every, I'm, going to, I'm going to say it like the old saints would do. Every believer praying right now, every Christian in this room praying right now, Holy Spirit of God, I thank you that you're able to draw the darkest heart. You're able to go into the deepest recesses of loneliness and lostness. And you're able to disband the bonds of the liar's lies that convince a person that they have to live in their paralysis, that they've sinned away their light. And there's no way to experience this kind of joy. It's too good to be true. To me, if it isn't too good to be true, it's not God. And this is God because it's too good. I'm going to ask you, friend, that you would become like that shepherd that says, let's go now. 
Let's go now. Let's find that, let's, let's go now. And let's go to a place and see God fulfill what he promised to fulfill in our lives. And I wanna ask you, wherever you are, that is this band plays to come and find a place to pray. It's like you're kneeling before the Christ. They didn't stay on that hillside and tell the angels, hey, would you go to, Jer- uh, to Bethlehem and tell that couple and that little baby that we really appreciate it, but we're gonna keep this to ourselves. We're just gonna stand here. Thank you very much. I, I wrote this down. I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and watch this later again. Thank you very much. No, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to leave that location where you are, where you've heard, and by faith step forward and come and kneel before Jesus and let him begin a deep work of forgiveness and healing in your life. Now I'm going to make it easy for you because I'm also going to ask believers. You know what? There are believers that have done everything Every churchy thing there is to do except one thing that God wants us to all to do. Be storytellers. I want to ask believers if you would come and kneel before Jesus and say, Lord, the rest of my life I'm going to ask you to put a grace on me so I can tell my glory story. I want to ask you for a fresh anointing on my life. That whether I sing a song, whether I play an instrument, whether I, I dig ditches, whether I clean teeth at a dentist's office, whether I, whatever I do, teach school, whatever I do, I am going to be a glory storyteller. Not by pressing, not by some weird thing, but God, my life on earth, is going to be telling people about what you've done for me. And I want to have fresh touch of your spirit on my life. I want you to come as well. And then Dustin will take us home. In Jesus' name, amen.